Welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs. We created this community for students and for industry to join together as a community and talk sports and really it just be what's going on, what is the future looking like and have a little bit of fun. We have David, uh, Zamboni driver, age 42, stopping eight out of the 10 shots that were fired on you and then having your first ever NHL win and your first ever NHL game. What was it like when that first goal went in? <laughs> well, it's never good when someone scores on you, that's for sure. So uh, <laughs> the first one was a tough one, you know, a shot through a screen. I wasn't ready for it. So that was my fault, but yeah, it's never good. And then all of a sudden the next one goes in as well. So that's, uh, that's not fun either. Got to regain some composure after that. Sarah, what was going through your, your mind? Uh, you're like probably sitting on pins and needles and you're watching that first, actually the first goal goes in, second goal goes in. Yeah, so when the first goal went in, it, it actually kind of hurt my heart a little bit. And then when the second one went in, I thought, you know what, it's, it is what it is. And it's just for the memories for him for, and the experience. So I wasn't too worried about it after the second one went in. After the second one. So yeah, that was a big thing. Now. Regularly practicing with the AHL team, the Toronto Marlies, being called up as emergency backup goalie. Uh, you know, your background as uh, 42 years old, playing in the NHL, whether you're a goalie or you've been playing for five or 10 years, is just kind of unheard of. So uh, how do you keep in shape for that? Yeah, like you said, I've been on the ice a lot with the team. Uh, the Leafs and the Marlies, they have me out all the time. So you hit the gym before practice and you go out there, you can be on the ice for up to three hours. So, um, And then I come home and Sarah and I usually go to the gym at 10 o'clock at night. So, um, you know, and, and work in between. So I'm always on the go. So it kind of keeps me in shape a little bit. So I'd like to thank Chelsea Vern, uh, who has also reached out to bring you on our show tonight. And I understand, you know, Chelsea from Ryerson, from the Marlies. Uh, so thank you, Chelsea, for introducing us to David. So you're the first, uh, we've had athletes on the show before, but the first NHL athlete. Uh, do you anticipate being called up again? Um, yeah, you never know. I think uh, even after that game in Carolina, I was still uh, emergency goalie for a couple of Leafs home games before they shut everything down. So I still have my NHL contract uh, through the whole year. So I was finishing up the year. If, even I'm not sure what's going to happen now, but I was ready to finish out the year, and uh, if they want me next year, I'll be back. So are you uh, – they paid you $500 for that game. Is that correct? Uh, they didn't pay me anything. I don't, I'm not sure where that came from, but uh, that was kind of the rumor out there that I got 500 but that wasn't part of the contract. Okay. So, yeah, there was a lot of different reportings on that, so it's good to, to, to learn a little bit more. Now, how has your life changed since then? <laughs> yeah, it's been different. Obviously, we went on that media tour there uh, all across Canada and a little bit of the U.S., so uh, that was a lot of fun, but uh, I'm still, you know, every day there, there's something different coming up, and uh, we're, we're working on a movie right now in Hollywood, uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff, obviously, that's been canceled because of uh, the COVID going around, but uh, hopefully once everything starts back up, we'll, uh, we'll get back out there and finish things that uh, we promised to do. And Sarah, how has your life changed? I mean, the, you're the dream of any social media, uh, anyone on social media, where you maybe have friends and family that are following you, and then boom, 20,000 followers just like within mo moments. How's that yeah. changed for you in terms of being a social media influencer? 
Um, that one was a little overwhelming. I didn't expect it at all. I didn't expect it was going to blow up the way that it did. I had my my little group and my Leaf fans and everything that would follow me. And Dave did that outdoor game for um, oh, Nathan Phillips Square three. for the three-on-three three for the Leaf. So I got a little more, a few more followers that way. Um, but the night of it, it went up like 20,000 followers. It was, it was insane. Outstanding. That's, yeah. Now, where are you at right now? Uh, it's just above 21,000, I believe. Okay. That's enormous. And are you, what are you seeing right now in terms of, uh, content on your social media platform? With, with mine? Yes. Um, with mine, it's just that there's still, I, I try to keep it as much hockey as possible that we've done a couple of things with influencers in that, or being influencers, I guess. Um, a couple of companies have reached out to us. Um, but other than that, I just try to keep it as lighthearted as possible. And I try to make it as funny as possible. As much as he says, I'm not funny. It's, <laughs> I <don't> disagree <laughs> with it. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to introduce you to one of our, he's a, this is an NFL analyst, but also one of our professors here at Ryerson RTA sport media, Dan Boomer. Berlin and Dan is going to walk you through rapid fire and he's got five questions that he's going to ask you and I understand tonight we're doing one word answers and if you feel like you need to answer in more than one word feel free but whatever comes to your mind all right right great to have you uh, on with us today so just as uh, as Laurel mentioned uh, we're going to do a rapid fire first thing that kind of comes to your mind here I may go a little bit over five questions I actually have ten let's see how quickly we can get through Are you guys ready to go let's go uh, all right let's do it all right um, Dave when you first signed on to be an emergency goalie did you ever actually think you would play in an NHL game uh, absolutely not I had a feeling that was the case here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So great. So looking back on that night itself, what was, what is the moment that sticks out the most from that night? Uh, I'd say the Toronto fans, how great they were. Yeah. Now you are kind of known as the Zamboni driver. What was your nickname growing up? Uh... <laughs> a bunch of the people I played hockey with and baseball with used to call me Band-Aid because they used to get hurt all the time. So that was probably it. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? You get to fill in as the third stringer. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, if you could, you, you would mention that they're, they're looking to make a movie of this great, incredible story. What would you, and this is a question for both of you, what would you call the movie? Wow. I've never been asked that before. No. Good question. I've been asked everything else about it, but not that. So uh, I have no idea. I'll leave it to someone else who's good at that stuff. And maybe we'll go with what's on your uh, on your hat. I yes, last call. That's probably a good one. <laughs> not bad. Um, who's uh, who's your hockey hero growing up? Uh, Andy Moog was my uh, was my guy. That's why I wear four thirty five whenever I got the chance. I love that. Love that. Um, uh, yes or no, do you like the NHL's plan for a 2014 playoff format uh, once the league resumes? Uh, I'm going to say yes, with a little bit of no in there as well. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, if you could pick a team today, who would you pick to win the Stanley Cup when the league resumes? I, I said yesterday, I said Pittsburgh, so I think they're going to be ones to watch out for. Okay, amazing. Last question. The best part about working as manager of operations at the Mad Me Athletic Center? 
uh, just being around the rink, being around everybody who loves the sports. All right. That's it for rapid fire. Well done. Two right Excellent. <laughs> I'd like to open it up to uh, either Connor or Natasha or Liam or Ruben. Do you have one rapid fire question that you'd like to ask David or Sarah? Connor, come on. Or Lou. All right. All right. Let's go with um, your experience on uh, spit and chiclets. Would you do it again or is that a no guy? <laughs> Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. Those guys are great, so I would definitely do that again. <laughs> okay, good. Mooch? Well, I'm an advertising guy, so I want to know, David, has there been many uh, advertisers out there reaching out to you guys to help push some products? Yeah, actually, I've, uh, I'm doing a brand ambassador for Old Mill and Eastside GM in Toronto. Yep. So I'm, dri I'm driving one of their demo trucks for six months and uh, kind of helping them out doing some social media stuff. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah, also, so, like, are you, are you ever getting tired of uh, talking about this uh, situation? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's been, it, just for the record, it's been 93 days exactly today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like 93 days, too. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's good days and there's bad days. You know, this stuff's kind of fun. You know, there's a bunch of different questions. It's harder when it's the, the same thing over and over. I like the different questions, though. Yeah, the only reason I say that there's a, there's a Twitter handle called Since Leafs Won the Last Cup. And it keeps mentioning 19,383 days since the Leafs won the cup, but 93 days since losing to an NHL Zamboni driver. I hope you don't take that as a negative either. No, I don't actually. I haven't really driven a Zamboni for five years. So yeah, uh, so people are going to read the story. I'm fine with it. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you very much for answering those questions. Absolutely. Okay, Ruben. I see Ruben, you have your question and then we're going to move on. I'll text it. What is your view on, on uh, for you, specifically for you, how sport media has changed? How's media changed for you, David? Uh, well, yeah, I never had, uh, I never had Instagram or anything really before this. And I was kind of uh, sort of forced to get it. So uh, I see a lot of more, a lot more sports media stuff now, a lot of stuff going around. There's actually some re really cool stuff. A lot of uh, really smart people out there that know sports a lot better than I do. That's for sure. All right, so I'm going to introduce you to Prof Recupero, Prof Joe. Prof Joe is uh, our documentary expert and has produced uh, many documentaries, teaches the documentary program at Ryerson University, and is, uh, we had a show a couple weeks, maybe about, actually, Joe, if it was maybe two months ago now, uh, talking about your favorite doc. So do you want to just uh, ask a couple of questions of David and Sarah about documentaries and maybe a little bit more about what's going on with your Hollywood uh, venture? Yeah, I mean, Dan has asked you the question about what would you call the film based on this uh, part of your life. I'd actually like to ask you, who would you like to play you? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty uh, pretty common question these days. People always ask me who I want. I, I don't have an answer, to be honest. I think, uh, I know there's been a few names thrown out there, like, I think Mark Wahlberg had his name in the hat, and I know people said Ryan Reynolds and stuff like that. So uh, maybe they're aiming a little bit high on that one, but who knows? Yeah, and Sarah, who would you like to play you? Um, Paul Bissonnette actually said uh, it was a Cameron Diaz. Charlie Theron. Or Charlie Theron, that was it. Sorry. Okay. So um, there's been a lot of talk just lately in terms of um, the documentary format in sports because there's been no live sports. So the things like the, um, the um, multi-part episode that was on Netflix and ESPN, The Last Dance. Uh, if you've seen that, I mean, we've all kind of watched that. It was fantastic. 
And then the ratings have been through the roof for that, all the publicity. Sort of showing that there's an appetite out there for stories beyond just live sports, but now actually stories behind the sports. Um, now there's this week the um, announcement that ESPN's next big doc like that is going to be um, one on Tom Brady um, called The Man in the Arena. They already have the title for that. And it's good because Tom gave them that title and it's going to be a nine part series. So now, um, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the film? So this is going to be a feature film, but have, have, has anybody come to you about doing like a documentary film? Has any of the uh, networks here in Canada or the US wanted to do a documentary on your story? Uh, we had HBO. Uh, right before everything shut down, HBO was going to come over and start doing uh, something similar to that. Um, I'm not sure what it was going to be called, but uh, yeah, there's a few, there's a few, mainly feature films. Uh, I think there's 12 big producers in, in Hollywood that are after it. Uh, but yeah, the HBO, I think, is pretty much the only one that was kind of do a, a documentary style. Okay. And so what would be at the top of the list for the two of you in terms of your favorite sports film or documentary? Wow. Well, we watched the, the Last Dance. That was awesome. I, I thought it was so cool just to see the inside of sports. And I, I used to like uh, the NHL uh, when they follow the guys around uh, before the All-Star Games and stuff like that. Uh, when they follow different teams, you, you know, I, I can see, I know what it's like on the inside of the rooms and what it's like behind the scenes for hockey. But I like to see it for all different sports. I think that's, that's the best when you get to see what really goes on outside the actual game. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I love your story when this all happened, and I actually kept thinking, who's getting this story? Who's going to buy your story? So I'm, I'm not surprised it was Disney, or you're in talk with them. That's great. Yeah, it was, uh, so the producer, James Corden, in Fullwell 73, is the, the production company that's taken it. But uh, I know Nike's doing a big thing uh, where they want to get into film, so uh, that's possible, and Imagine uh, Pictures, I guess, would be another one that's uh, after it, so. Uh, there's a lot, but it's in the early stages right now. It's just the production companies uh, got it, and then uh, they're going for writers right now. So see how it goes. Great. We need a good story like that coming out of this COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So typically I talk about social media on uh, this. So instead of me trying to give advice, I want your advice, Sarah, um, because you, you blew up on Twitter. So I would love to know... Um, First, your, what the emotions were behind after you had sent your initial tweet and then the support that fans uh, gave you when um, after the fact. Uh, when my first initial tweet went out, um, <laughs> my whole thought behind it was Dave was going to get mad if he saw it because uh, he's, he's told me to keep my, my Twitter and my language to a minimum kind of thing with it because I get a little out there sometimes. Um, I think it's more so just being passionate and whatever. But I thought, oh, he's going to get annoyed. And then I was like, forget it. This is, uh, this is his moment. And it's, it's my moment to sit there and, and enjoy and be proud of him for it. So I don't really think I, I thought it was going to go the extent or get to the extent that it did by any means. Well, I definitely think it came across as very authentic. And it's just, I think maybe that's what was very, uh, what fans gravitated to. Yes. Um, so I want to congratulate you both because I'm sure Sarah had a big part in trying to, in uh, promoting you, but getting the nomination with the NHL, um, the, the, oh, I'm losing my word, sorry, the Fan Choice Award. So I'm really hoping that you guys go for that and we're definitely going to keep rooting for you. Um, I am curious though, Sarah, do you have TikTok? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> so I have this this whole thing where I don't think anybody over the age of 30 should have TikTok. <laughs> um, younger kids and everything else, it's a lot of fun, but I just, uh, it's one of those apps that kind of makes me uncomfortable. It's, it's kind of hard to see uh, old older people like me where your bodies aren't doing so great trying to dance. So it's, it's kind of uncomfortable at times. <laughs> Okay, I was wondering if maybe you'd give uh, Connor Carrick and his wife the run, a run for their money in terms of their TikTok content. <laughs> no, no, they're good at they're good at that. I know Connor a little bit from the Leafs and Marlies. Uh, he knows what he's doing, not so much us. All right, well, I definitely hope to see you guys uh, snag the win on on your nomination. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> so we've I actually did my second TikTok ever, and I'm going to start doing it week after week. And Joe and I are going to be producing, and I'm Boomer, you are as well. Uh, and by the way, you don't have to dance. So that's what I'm learning too. There's lots of different ways. So um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up on you in a few weeks to see if we can change your mind on yeah. being at the media school. You never know. You never know. Chelsea, if you were to see Sarah and David doing a TikTok, what would you recommend them to start off with? Ooh. I mean, the dance ones are always fun, and especially if Dave's not interested in doing the dance ones, and 100%, we have to see you've tried the dance ones. Uh, so I think I would challenge you to the Renegade, and I would want you to do it with Carlton the Bear. Oh, see, that would be fun. That would be more fun. You know, just doing it in my living room, I, I probably don't think I could get into it, but... Uh, so, so you're saying, if I could hook you up with Carlton the Bear, that maybe there's a chance you'd do it. Uh, Sarah's like 100%. Yeah, she just wants to see me do it. That's all. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you, Chelsea. So, David and Sarah, uh, we'd like to open it up for the final two questions from our students. Uh, again, one sentence answers, kind of like the rapid fire, but there's the students probably have. Uh, anything they're there they followed you they're fans of you they want to see you from a social media standpoint uh, I'd like to open it up to Liam Ruben again Natasha final questions you have Sarah and David all to yourselves <laughs> Ruben his question is there has been equally that you have had some positive outcome from your story there's also been some criticism and, and negativity can you comment on that at all yeah I think everyone has their own opinion um, you know, I, I found just from the stuff that I don't read a lot of it, but I, I just the stuff that I found, um, it's a lot of people kind of doing the 15 minutes of fame. But uh, from my standpoint, uh, if anyone had the blood, blood, sweat and tears that I had to put into all these years of uh, taking shots and, uh, you know, coming home with bruises and, and concussions and stuff like that, I think they'd understand, uh, you know, what it's like to have to get to that level. So uh, it's not easy, but like I said, everyone has their own opinion on it. And, uh, you know, I Obviously, I had a kidney transplant, so it's a little bit tougher to stay hydrated and uh, healthy at that point. So uh, there's a lot behind it. Uh, a lot of people don't know the full story, uh, so that's okay. You know, everyone has the right to their own opinions, and and that's cool. And I just hope that if someone else gets a chance to uh, get in the net, that uh, they do well with it and and they have fun with it as well. Axel, uh, I know you were uh, looking at or interested in asking David a question specifically around protocol and athletes going back. Being an athlete, David, I'm going to introduce you to Axel, who was reading the article about Max Domi saying, you know, I'm a little bit concerned. My immune system is compromised. Making sure you take into consideration the athletes and their safety. Axel? 
Actually, uh, I, I can actually tie this question into an esports experience because uh, Mitch Marner was the one who uh, introduced the topic during a, he was live streaming some Call of Duty and uh, on Twitch. And he was the one who said he was concerned about uh, Max Domi and people like him who are immune compromised. He's got type one diabetes. Um, uh, and obviously the, the return of the NHL season, the NBA season, these are business moves, right? And there's a lot of money at stake. Uh, and while the players unions and the leagues are, are seemingly in agreement on how to kind of, you know, um, get things up and running again, uh, there are certainly going to be individuals who are going to be thinking twice about whether it makes sense to lace, lace them up again. And um, uh, just want to get your take, be, you know, as, as you said, you, you, you went through uh, a medical procedure that perhaps uh, uh, puts you at risk. Um, have, have you heard conversations or do you have some thoughts on, on weighing that risk and whether, um, you know, uh, if you ever got called up again um, or been put in that situation again, would you, you know, would you have trouble making that decision? Yeah, I can totally see where they're coming from. You know, I, um, I've had lots of talks with my nephrologist at St. Mike's Hospital and actually we're doing a, a thing on COVID and the effects of um, of it on kidney transplant or kidney disease patients on Wednesday. So uh, there is a lot behind it. I think, you know, I can contract it just as much as, as anyone else, but it's how it's going to affect my body if I do get, uh, if I do get COVID. So, uh, you know, Max has a, a compromised immune system. So do I, and, you know, I'd be around the guys quite often. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a thought of whether they would be worried about you having it and not really knowing and kind of giving it to one of them. Uh, being around it, it's kind of hard, you, you know, the, when the symptoms show up, you know, you, you've obviously already got it, but you may have the, you may have had it before symptoms get to you. So, uh, yeah, you definitely want to think twice about that. Uh, and also, is it really worth the health of all the athletes to, uh, to finish out the season when a lot of, uh, a lot of the guys are used to having the summer off and, you know, some of them would probably want to play hockey. That's what they do. But uh, you want to get back to, you know, some kind of a routine and they're used to having the summers off and training a certain way and then getting back to it. So uh, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of questions, but uh, NHL is good and they'll, they'll figure it all out. Yeah. I was listening to um, uh, uh, some, some recent news saying that new contracts that athletes sign are going to include um, a lot of new, new types of coverage, new types of protection uh, in their next contracts. And somebody like Max Domi is actually at the end of a contract. He's set to make, you know, substantially more money um, um, if he plays again. Uh, and he's in the new playoff format. He actually makes the playoffs for the first time as part of the Montreal Canadiens. So, so there's a lot going on, I'm sure, uh, mentally in terms of uh, that decision-making process. And um, I'm sure it's going to come down to the individual choice. But uh, you know, I, I certainly, and I think a lot of people are aware that it is a risk that all the all, that all athletes are taking by by returning to ice. And um, uh, while we should be appreciated, we should also be sympathetic and supportive of of whatever choices these athletes uh, make to play or or not to play. Yeah, I fully agree. I think uh, everybody's kind of missing sports right now, and then uh, you know they all kind of want it back. So there's a little bit of pressure for all these leagues to get back and playing, but. In the end, you know, if you, if all of a sudden a bunch of people get sick from it, you know, how's that going to work? And, uh, you know, how are people going to feel about athletes getting back and getting sick and then the games aren't as, as good as they are and they shut it all down? So at one point, you know, you decide whether to shut it all down and start fresh or you just kind of force the guys back or uh, just make them feel like they need to get back, right? So uh, a lot of questions to be answered and it's not going to be me who answers them, that's for sure.
Do you think that there's more pressure? You said there's a lot of pressure in the guys to come back. Um, is that pressure coming from the fans? Is that come pressure coming from the leagues, from the from financials? Uh, yeah, I think in some markets, for sure. I was talking to the, the people in Carolina, and obviously they're affected more so than, say, Toronto at the big markets. So, uh, you know, they make all their money off of people being in the seats. So that's where, everyone, you know, they want to get back to playing and they want to get back to making money for their team. So, uh, like I said, people do feel pressure, but I know uh, there's a few players that uh, like to stick to the routine and having their, their summers off and training a certain way and get back and, and making sure that they're healthy and everything is is healthy and well before they even get back playing and uh so yeah we'll we'll see i know that uh a lot of the players have different mixed emotions about this great sarah david i know that you only have a a, a short period of time with us this evening so we'd like to thank you for joining sport talks with sport profs we're going to continue on with the rest of our show this evening we thank you very much for being there we wish you all the best and uh, we hope to see you again on the ice on the NHL very, very soon. If not, hopefully around Ryerson, come visit us in the new, in, uh, when this is all over. Absolutely. For sure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us. All right. So let's jump on to Disney, NBA, MLS. This is interesting. What is with Florida as well? There seems to be a lot of interest in sports starting up again and florida seems to be the state so uh you know be great if we could finish off the season number one in terms of both mlb and mls that'd be fantastic but it also would be interesting that if they, they did do the season imagine having walt disney world in orlando all, all to yourself boomer well i love it you know we were talking a little bit pre-show about the match taking place yesterday. And of course, Charles Barkley was front and center as one of the commentators on uh, that program. And that came to blows with Tom Brady. I won't digress into that too, too much, but it was Charles Barkley who was on ESPN radio who said that it's pretty much a fait complete that the NBA will likely return and make an announcement of some sort that training camps are going to resume in about a week's time, which is fascinating. And of course, as you mentioned, Laurel, this idea that Walt Disney World, the uh, ESPN Sports Complex, um, located at uh, at Walt Disney World in Orlando, would be uh, the hub. There is some talk that Las Vegas may also be a potential hub as well. But now, what's interesting about the NBA's prospect for coming back, and I'm just speaking to the NBA right now. Um, is that they are looking at ways to tinker with a format. We talked a little bit about the NHL's desire to go with a 2014 playoff format. That's very unique, obviously something that's never been done before. The NBA is now entertaining, and this is something Commissioner Adam Silver has been potentially pushing for, and the moment might be perfect to be able to institute it, which is uh, going with a one Verse one to 16 seeded teams, but not doing it by conference. So in essence, it would just be the best record in the NBA, which would be the Milwaukee Bucks taking on the 16th place team. And the Raptors, who would currently be the third seed, would take on the Memphis Grizzlies, if all things were being equal, if the season were to start. So I think what's really intriguing here, of course, we talk about protocols and all the measures that require to go into place. Can players actually self-isolate and, and you know, be able to follow through with that? I think what's even going to be more intriguing is these seasons get quickly thrown back together as some of these incredible uh, and intriguing matchups as well. 
So the, uh, the, who do you think in terms of MLB, Dan, NHL, MLS and NBA and, and, and NFL is kind of, they're, they're, they're a little bit further down. Sure. Um, thinking about, and even CFL thinking about September. I mean, it, this is, who's going to, who's going to do this well first. I mean, what type of format do you think is going to work best all being in one location like Orlando, Walt Disney world or multiple locations. And I mean, the thing is, I want to make sure that we continue to point this out. It is not just the athletes that are impacted and it, everybody is impacted. I mean, I, I see Chris here is in officiating, uh, broadcasters are impacted, coaches, training. Uh, there's so many people that need to be taken into consideration the athletes, families, but also the people that are running the sport. So th this, is a, this, this is a big thing. So in terms of formats, what have you been hearing about potentially would be the best way? I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of everybody being contained in one location versus all this traveling around. Yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely an interesting proposition. And, you know, it might be just with the fact that it was the NBA on March 11th that was the first league to halt play after uh, Rudy Gobert tested positive, and that sort of started the chain of events. I very much look at the NBA to be the front runner in this, and, you know, it comes down to strong leadership. I think Adam Silver is really uh, portraying himself as a, as a great leader through this and a trusted one. I, I mean, there's no perfect system here. I think, you know, some of the ethical debates uh, that you bring up, Laurel, are real. You know, should athletes be forced to play? We had Pinball on our show last week, and I, I think the most telling point he made from his entire through that entire conversation was that the league, the CFL that is, would not be playing players, or at least he was an advocate against players getting paid who elected not to play, even if they're under contract. So there's there's certainly a lot to unpack here. As you mentioned, the NFL, U.S. college sports sort of wait on the sideline as leagues like the NBA uh, most likely will be the front runners and set the tone for what this will look like. With respect to Major League Baseball, right now it just seems like they can't get out of their own way when it comes to their players association and, and the ownership groups in terms of being able to figure this out from a monetary standpoint. So that we haven't heard a lot from them. The NHL is moving forward just today. The memo was released that they're entering phase two where they're allowing small groups of six to get to together and work out together at team facilities, but no mention right now about phase three or phase four being training camps and ultimately the resumption of the league. So just to tie it up, I think all eyes right now are on the NBA to see how they can pull it off. And certainly they look at the model of having one, maybe two, but one hub city as, um, as, a, great, uh, as a great way to go. I see Luch, you're uh, coming in here with a question about you know, how long people will watch with no fans. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great question. Luch, what, what are your take? I mean, do you have an interest watching? Um, I know they're using some cardboard cutouts in Europe right now, but is that going to cut it for you? Well, it's kind of funny that you ask, because I talked to my nephew who lives in Milan, and he's a big uh, fan of Serie A. And what he told me was that um, a lot, there's a bunch of companies in Europe that are actually going to put virtual fans on the TV. So you're actually watching a game and if the home team scores, the fans virtually go crazy. So I'm not sure if that's something that's been, it's gonna be working with people, that if there's companies here in North America that are gonna be doing the same thing with NBA or NHL or MLS or any of the leagues, because, I, but I think 
for myself personally, I, obviously I'm going to watch the first few just to see. But when teams are winning, for example, if the home team is down 3 nothing and they score a goal where the fans would get right into it and there's something called momentum in sports, as you guys know, is that momentum going to carry on without the fans going crazy? I, I just don't know. It'd be interesting to throw that out to the group and see what they think. Yeah, what does the group think? Because, I, Lich, I happen to agree with you that, you know, is, this, is it more about the fans and, you know, they're craving content. So they want to sit and watch the players and, and watch the game. There is a certain fan type that is, Agreed. you know, like the RepuCom, the armchair fan is going to sit at home and all they care about is the game. Then there's the expert sure. fan that all they do is they care about the statistics of the game. So you know, those, that percentage of fans, I think they're going to be okay. It's the ones that are need to be connected, the ones that need the socialization, being with their friends, being at a bar, being at the game itself. So, you know, do the, do the players perform better when there are fans versus not? I mean, that's also a question. I, I agree. I, I think the players do feed off of the fans more than anything else. I, I mean, yes, you have a – they're all professionals and they all – have to uh, achieve a high level of play that that's a given however I honestly think that and you've heard and you've heard how many times have you guys heard you know after the game interview well the fans yeah the fans really got into it and you know we we know that the momentum changed and it came over to our side like that's that's standard stuff it, to me it's standard uh, I don't think that's a real um, tough decision I, I think the players will all want to have fans you know, yeah, I, agree, I agree with you, Luch. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, how much do the fans and the atmosphere and the way that the drama plays out inspires these great performances? Like, listen, I asked David Ayers in our, in our rapid fire. I said, what's the one thing looking back that stood out for you? What did the, say? Yeah, the fans. It was the fans. Right. You know, like if he was doing exactly what he did in an arena with no fans, how significant would that accomplishment or moment of bid, you know, if it's well, not in a collective memory. I just you do get you do get pumped up. You you gotta admit you and get devil's advocate. Let's play devil's advocate for a second though, because again, uh these these pro teams are used to having their stadiums full. But if you think of women's sports, which we talked about weeks ago, they have fans, there's three hundred in the audience and they're playing an unbelievable game. And I we keep hearing the game is so fantastic. The women's game is so fantastic, but only three people three three hundred people show up. Or, or 100 people or 25. So, you know, imagine then if your our, our our collective argument is is that it it actually would help better the play, better the moment, have better experience. You know, is that are we arguing well, that? I mean, it's like the chicken or the egg, Laurel. I mean, it yeah. is a beautiful point you bring up here because point. You know, these moments that resonate. We talk about the last dance, and we all rec remember. It's like this collective consciousness of like remembering where I was watching Michael Jordan do what he did. So, if that's not even a part of it how that lends itself to the significance. I mean, clearly athletes playing at the top level are, you know, athletes playing at the top level. We I, I certainly recognize that. I think everybody in this forum would recognize great athletes are great athletes. But, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the forest and, and like, does anybody hear it if there's no one there? And I think to Lucha's original point, you know, it, it certainly is curious. Like, I don't think any of us really know no, we're that's so sports starved. We want to watch, but is it going to be compelling? 
Joe, I want to ask you on this because you know you're you are a product you are a quintessential production expert, and you and 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 also you and I attended a conference in Florida a couple of years ago, which was remember that uh, piece of research that we saw about the walk up music and a certain type of tempo of walk up music for baseball players uh, is the more likelihood that the players actually going to uh, make a home run. It had nothing to do with the fans; it had to do with the song. So where does production and music and environment play in this whole uh, piece of the fans not being there, Joe? Well, I mean, number one, I think this is all such a, you know, kind of hypothetical thing because we don't have these big four sports back yet and people are desperate for them. I mean, uh, I don't, I, I, I think it's just, it's, it's almost a non-issue that if you, have these games play in Walt Disney World or whatever and as long as you're televising them people will watch right whether there's fans in the stand or not and whether that impacts the players people aren't really going to care they just they want to see it and you know there's contracts being sold players are getting paid you know owners are getting paid Fans are getting to see stuff. Television production is in operation, is covering these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's not the best of all worlds, but it's the only world we might be able to hope for a while because the reality is no matter how much people want to have fans in the stands, we got to know that's not going to happen until there's a vaccine. So yeah. uh, you got your choice of whether you're going to see games of, with no fans and being broadcast to you with either virtual fans in the stands or they sh shoot it tighter or what whatever. But I think people will adjust to that. We've adjusted to 10 weeks of isolation. I think people will adjust to like, there's, there's not enough fans in the stands. Yeah, and, and also- The I think question is, can we get these? I mean, you know, when you see these things like the NHL, or sorry, um, uh, the, the drafts going on, you know, um, with the, the golf that just happened on the weekend, that NASCAR is back up and going, you know, like anything that you can get out there and that people can see, they don't have to be there necessarily. You don't have to be there at the, you know, at the golf, uh, at the golf club with Tiger and Tom and Peyton and everything, you know, like, it, but you'll watch it. So just the same way, like, you know, if you can guarantee to me that I can see NFL football, like I, I don't get to go to the games. I only watch them. So like, as long as I can see it, I'm going to be tuning in. Yeah. Dennis, uh, I see your, Dennis, do you have an opinion on this? Luch, I see you're off mute anymore. Uh, Connor, even opinion on this. I mean, this is Connor, you're, you're producing this. This is something that you're, you're working to strive for, for your career. Where, you know, what, what is your insight? What is your perspective? Yeah, no, <clears throat> I'm kind of with uh, Professor Joe on this. I agree that the fans are eventually going to get used to it. Like, I look at football, and I remember when the green zone first came in, and everyone was outraged. And then by the end of the season, you just kind of get used to it because you want to watch sports, and you kind of have to. So I think it's going to be weird at first. Like, I was watching Bundesliga the other day, uh, and there were no fans, and it wasn't the same. But I think as time goes on, we'll start to adjust, mostly because we don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's look at it this way. Did we have a choice when we were locked down? No, we didn't. So we, you know, we've had to adjust, right? And the same thing is, I think people are just, like I said, are just so desperate 
and star for any kind of sports that if you can just bring it back, anything will watch. And yeah, it's, there's no fans, but I won't really care, you know? Yeah. And I, but again, like anything, <laughs> we just will get used to it. All right. Well, let's take case in point here because the one thing that I actually, I think is awesome in terms of UFC, I mean, UFC predominantly is that sport that you stream. You know, it's a pay-per-view uh, and you, I mean, most people likely, I actually don't know the numbers, but I'm going to assume that a lot of people go to a bar or they gather with a bunch of friends over. I mean, in some cases, those, the live streams are pretty expensive. UFC is, would love Dan, as you said, to get back to Las Vegas. Um, they're doing a lot of COVID testing and getting back in the octagon. They've got a fight happening this weekend, May 30th with Woods and Burns um you know again in florida so it seems to be that the state let's hope everybody is abiding by all the rules but they're they're abiding by their own so this is one where you know you actually could watch the entire octagon nice and tight and only seeing the fight right as opposed to you know hitting a ball at left field and showing someone catch it or a foul ball or whatever happens so this is a, a sport you think about it sport by sport which is some sports Definitely, as you said, it's tighter, and the octagon is one of those places. Yeah, um, and what a, what a fascinating debate! You know, it just goes to show that everybody has has a great, you know, something to add to it, and I think we all will adjust. And just as maybe a final point, you know, it, this this could be entering into an era when it just really changes our habits and how we interact and how we view sports, you know, because I mean, these are classic spectator sports. So we are changing the aspect of the spectator. Um, you know, the UFC, I, I just absolutely am riveted by what is going on in the UFC now. For those of you who maybe haven't heard, Dana White, the, uh, you know, UFC president right now is talking about um, something called Fight Island, which is this big topic up for debate. Nobody knows where Fight Island is, but what he is planning on doing after this May 30th event is staging a series of three or four super cards that will take place on Fight Island. And uh, the, the feeling is, or at least the, the only word that's been leaked at this point is that it's not in American waters. So it would allow for international athletes who otherwise might have travel bans um, levied upon them to be able to participate. So Fight Island, now Dana White himself came out this week. And by the way, I'm a big fan of Dana White. I don't know if you can tell, but he came out this week and he actually said um, that he's going to live on, the, on Fight Island for the pretty much the entire month of July as he sees through these three or four shows. And there was really a wonderful comment made uh, on the chat uh, just a little bit ago. I think Axel had made, uh, made a great point, uh, both in terms of, you know, the Tiger Woods-Phil Mickelson match being the highest rated golf event in the history of the sport. So it speaks to what Jim Prof Joe is saying, what Connor is saying, this idea that we are star for sport. There is certainly an audience, a captive audience, um, that is interested in watching this as well. And, uh, and now we are looking at new and innovative ideas. So new playoff formats, uh, the idea of a fight island uh, can really lend itself to raising the curiosity of the viewer to a point where it almost becomes must-see TV.
I'm wondering if Fight Island is going to be on uh, a sub, like, you know, how uh, Richard Branson's asking for subsidy from the government right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so maybe he's lending his island and that might be some sort of attack right off. And so they're all in it together. And you know what? They can take private jets. I did see Air Canada today. I thought this was interesting. Air Canada today did post the fact that they're using Air Canada jets which is the, the airlines that fly the Raptors and the Toronto um, Maple Leafs. It's a bigger seats, bigger aisles. And so those are the flights that are going from Toronto to Ottawa right now. So, you know, there's lots of uh, ways when you have the funds and you have the money to do it. And as much as Dana White is controversial and as much as he is, uh, you know, you could, you could criticize him a lot. He's an unbelievable marketer and he's where there's a will, there's a way. So I kind of like that glass half full kind of mentality. Axel, um, you know, you just gave us a bit of an update on esports. This this still continues to remain, uh, you know, king right now in terms of content and creating. I love what's happening in this space. The latest as of today. Well, I think the 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 thing about esports that I think a lot of leagues can learn from is just this uh, this willingness to innovate on a on a almost a weekly basis. And we're just talking about a few ways that some of these um, more traditional leagues are, are, are thinking about experimenting and what that might mean in terms of drawing viewers and audiences. And I think if you're not a league that can do that, that can be at this moment pushing the envelope and, 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 and exploring um, innovation, especially in the digital space, you're going to get left behind. Um, uh, your, your audience is going to go elsewhere. And so, um, uh, you know, the, the, you know, we, we talked about the NBA 2K League, uh, you know, they, they started almost as scheduled amidst all the, you know, the, the coronavirus and have been drawing higher, higher viewers than, than they did last year. Um, I think any, if you, any delay is only going to hurt the leagues. And so the sooner they figure out how to implement new strategies right now, uh, we'll, we'll salvage their, their, um, their, their fan base. So, um, and, and I can, I can, you know, use, use a, a fairly recent example, the uh, Finnish Liga, the, the, the Finnish Pro League, they did, uh, they actually finished their season using esports. Um, they, uh, a combination of celebrities, players, um, regular fans, all um, became part of the playoff roster, like, you know, uh, represented the, the, the existing rosters uh, of, of, the, of the Finnish League, and they actually completed the season and announced the champion based on the results of, the, of this esports tournament. And their viewers uh, were actually, they had close to 200,000 viewers. Now, that's in Finland, and Finland's a much smaller country. If you look at the conversion on that audience, that too was actually higher than the ratings um, uh, the U.S. ratings for the Masters on on the th on, on on any given Thursday or Friday, so it, you know it now, now's the time to pivot. Um, I hate using the word pivot, but I just did. Um, now, now's the time to experiment and try something new because the proof is has been or already been in the pudding that, that it does work if you can implement something quite quickly. And the the thought of transitioning or pivoting quickly, like we're two minute months into this, and anybody that needs to pivot quickly you know, hopefully they can, but also why weren't you doing it a long time before? It starts to think about this and this, if sport video games or esports, um, or sort of, let's say the gaming uh, platforms like Discord or Fortnite or Twitch, 
uh, you know, Axel, you and I were chatting today about how uh, you, we may see Amazon and Twitch making a bigger call into the broadcast space with NFL. I mean, this is now our new reality and they're doing it well and they have, you know, the, the types of fan base and the viewership that uh, professional sports wants. Chelsea, what do you think about uh, using sport video games and driving traffic uh, for the, this, the professional sports? I think it's a great idea. I mean, first and foremost, you, I mean, I'm a big um, believer in looking at new ways to attract the younger generation of fans. I think, um, especially for sports, a lot of us, um, we take our fanship based off of our parents and what they liked and who they cheered for. And we take that with us. But I think at some point we will hit a wall where that's that type of, um, stepping down the ladder doesn't necessarily stick. Um, and I think, especially because of the different ways of, of broadcasting things and doing it digitally um, and where uh, kids are watching, um, the younger generation, Gen Z, they're not necessarily watching broadcast, they're, they're streaming. So I think it needs to be adaptable to that and, um, and just see, just test the waters and see, see how it works because avoiding it and rejecting it isn't going to do anyone any good. So uh, actually, Chelsea, I'd like to go back to something on this because if esports, sometimes you say esports and, and uh, let's say traditional sport organizations get a little bit nervous by that word, but let's just say sport video games. And that made me think of something that David and his wife said about TikTok. And this is by no means any criticism or judgment. It is more of an education that you know, at some point, I'm going to imagine that people will used to say, well, I'm not going to go on Facebook, or I'm not going to do Twitter, or, or Instagram is not for me. And the next thing you know, you find yourself doing it and building platforms. So, um, you know, I, I personally think that they should be, uh, you know, with the exception of the fact that it's a Chinese company, maybe there's uh, some different type of security issues with your data, put that aside. Let's just think about it solely as a social media platform. Why are people so afraid of TikTok with sports? I think honestly, it is a younger generation. I mean, I know I'm not that old, but I feel that old when I'm on TikTok because it's, it's the high schoolers that are dominating the space. Um, the Gen Zs, the millennials are starting to kind of get our foot in the door with it, but it's, there, there's no shame. You literally do anything you want on the platform. And I think that that's completely um, goes against everything that we've learned in traditional broadcast and traditional broadcast media. It's very, you know, you don't say the wrong thing and not, not that you want to do that on social media either, but it's very strict in like, here's the script of what you're allowed to say, what you should be saying, how you should be saying it. Whereas TikTok is say whatever the heck you want and do it in a, in a creative way, dance it off, um, do a trick shot. Um, I think that's probably the, the, the easiest gate for sports to kind of enter the TikTok space is through trick shots um, because they're, they're getting more and more advanced and, um, and creative. But I think that's, it's, it's a very interesting space and it's completely new to any kind of social media platform, which is traditionally very, I think more necessarily seen as a negative um, thing because of how quickly, you know, something you say can go wrong on social media. Um, and like I said, with a traditional broadcast space doesn't um, allow, you're, you're not going to find a, um, 
a sideline reporter telling so telling a player to to do a dance whereas on TikTok that's exactly what what you're looking for so I think that intimidates a lot of of the traditional um, uh, broadcast platforms and uh, for teams and leagues because they don't know how to how to enter that without coming across um, as as unauthentic, I guess we'll say, just to overkill that word for social media. But um, I'm a huge advocate that you need to you need to expand in that space. You need to, and you need to you do that by um, asking the advice and reaching out to the market that's in that space. Ask the TikTok influencers how do you do this and what is the best way to do it. That's how you do your market research. You're not going to find it necessarily in the hands of the uh the people in in power the people the um uh the gen xers you're not going to find it there you're you're going to find it in the gen z's and the millennials okay i'm going to post a poll here uh and just you know we'll put anonymous for anybody here let's just see if we can add this and the question essentially is let's see if it popped up or not let me know uh, it's the first time I've tried poll, but the question is, oh, launching poll. Okay. How many of us here tonight are on TikTok? Yes or no answer. And let's end the polling. So 67% are not. I guess the next question would be after tonight's conversation, how many of you are going to, to give it a shot? <laughs> so let's, uh, we'll, we'll ask that next question. Anyone here want to just join in? Is there, what do you think? Lord, the, the only thing I'll say is, uh, those who are quote unquote pivoting successfully right now didn't just decide to do that in the last three months. I think uh, yeah, these are all accelerations of strategies they already implemented. So there aren't there aren't this there isn't this sort of microcosm of geniuses working at these brands who all of a sudden came up with these great ideas and were able to move a large company very quickly. These are strategies that they already started. Uh, they already recognized were important and they've accelerated. Um, I don't know if you've, you've heard of some good news. It's the um, John Krasinski, you know, documentary, you know, or a web web series. Uh, he recently sold that to Viacom, eight episodes, un undisclosed sums of money. And it, you would think that it was something that aired, was created and aired in his, uh, created in his home over uh, during, the, during the coronavirus, when in fact it was already filmed uh, months ago, uh, like a year ago. And yeah. they accelerated it and saw the opportunity to broadcast and did. So I think that's just an example of, of um, the issue a lot of companies have right now. We're only figuring out they don't have a digital strategy is that it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of testing and it takes uh, a lot just to move, especially a big company forward. Okay, so let's, uh, we've got two topics left. And I'm going to combine them. Uh, we did kind of talk about breaking of the protocol, but I really wanted to, to, Let's talk about CFL athletes back to pinball last week and NHL since David Ayer was on here today. Um, you know, resuming training and, you know, the, the whole point. Uh, CSIO, the Canadian Institute for Sport in Ontario, is uh, every week putting out protocols for the athletes and the athlete safety um, and even in athlete training facilities. This, this is a this is a very big topic especially with the player association it's not just about the players the officials also are uh, at risk you know they're they're on the ice with these guys so uh anyone thought i want to open this up for for everyone last comment on this in terms of breaking protocol 
NHL and CFL specifically. Ruben, let's see here. Uncertainty regarding the season and the fact that they may be F made FAs. I mean, just to pick up on Ruben's point, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's so much uncertainty about the CFL, you know, just with respect to the entire revenue model is built on fans in, in the seats. So, you know, the players right now, I mean, I just thought it was profound what Pinball shared with us last week when he said flat out, if a player chose not to play, but didn't have the opportunity to come and play that he wouldn't be able to get paid. And, you know, Ruben, Ruben's point here with the amount of uncertainty, I, you know, I can't say I'm privy to all the latest or the specific <laughs> regarding, you know, the players association and players becoming free agents, but, uh, you know, maybe even a bigger question for the CFL is the viability of the league moving forward if they were to absolutely completely lose a season altogether. And could they actually pick up the pieces? I mean, obviously it goes without saying you have over a hundred years of tradition in the CFL, but only a few healthy markets. <laughs> you know, we saw the XFL with the deepest of deep pockets, um, you know, say and put in three years of planning just to get one year off the ground only to have the league fold upon itself within two months. So huge, huge challenges ahead. Well, listen, uh, I want to thank everybody. This has been a fun conversation tonight, having David Ayer and his wife, Sarah, here. Uh, wonder if we'll see David again on the ice. Who knows? Hopefully, that'd be awesome for him. He's got to stay in shape at the, um, you know, with the AHL, with the Marlies. That'd be fantastic. Anyway, listen, uh, we will see you next week at, on Sport Talks with Sport Profs. We've got Marissa Roberto. So eSports is going to be the focus next week and also about creating your own channel and driving uh, the, our talent in terms of the sport video game. So thank you again. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Axel. Thank you, Prof Joe. Thank you, Chelsea. And uh, for every, uh, everyone for joining us. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night, everyone.